Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey, Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Wow, he we are coming up quick on some exciting adventures. Yes, for the William Inge Theater Festival. Oh, we'll get to meet all of these amazing artists that we've had the pleasure of connecting with virtually and beginning to actually see people in person, create together, be inspired. Before that even happens, we have something else coming up. We have the the end of play. Well, oh! end of play. <laughs> We're in it right now. Cora. We're in it. I, it's like, yeah, it's, it's here. It's now, but we do have, we do have an event. So we are, Hey Playwright is a volunteer event coordinator for the midpoint check-in that is going to be happening. When is it happening, Tori? It is happening on Saturday, April 16th at 10 AM Pacific time. Oh. And there is a link. Okay. So what is into play? We should actually first say oh, what yes, story is. <laughs> I think uh, so. Um, it is an annual initiative created by the Dramatist Guild and it inspires people to complete a new play, a score or a song over the period of one month. So it launched April 1st as it does every year. And then it ends on the last day of April. And so we are going to do that midpoint check-in. We will put a link um, where you can register to join us in a Zoom so you'll get to see us. And we're, also, we're going to also offer a writing prompt since that is part of our jam here at Hey Playwright. Yes, we are walking the walk, Tori. Not only did we sign up as Hey Playwright to, to host an event, but we also signed up individually as participants of End of Play as playwrights. So Tori... Yes. What are you working on? So I've been doing more freestanding work because I am in the early stages of a few short plays that I would like to complete. So I think I think it's how what you make of it, right? The the but the for me, it's just about doing some writing every day. Now, that said, I fully expect to have a play completed by the end. And if I'm doing 10 minute plays, I will have at least two completed by the end of April. Um, Yeah. So, so that is my, my goal. So that's awesome. I think that's what about you. I'm writing a horror TYA piece. I have no idea what it's going to be. Like I, I I shared with you before we started recording Mm -hmm. is that I have a scene in my, I just have a moment, an opening moment. I have a moment that is all I have, nothing else. <laughs> yeah, but but once you start writing it, and you have that opening moment that can lead you in all different kinds of directions. And I love the idea of a horror TYA play. I wonder if there are any floating around out there because I, there have I to think be. There have to be, right? I think kids would love that. Yeah, no, but I was talking to um, when I was workshopping my Loteria play at Teatro Bravo, um, I was talking to the artistic director who also was directing the workshop, um, Ricky Ariza. That's what he did his his thesis on was horror and TYA. So so yes, mm. I believe in fact I should reach out to him and 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 be like 
Please point me to some mentor texts. I would love to read them too, because I'm really curious to know how horror is handled. Yes. You know what I mean? Does it does it end nicely like oh or it was a misunderstanding you know like I'm thinking about like Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew like how does it how does it end or does it or does something like really bad scary happen like how scary does it get I'm so curious based on based on the the time that I spent hanging out with Ricky I would be very surprised if it ended in the Hardy Boys kind of way because you know what I mean, though, right? No, so, no, I, I know well, what you mean. That's what oh, I'm saying. Like, oh, it was a dream. A or, oh. But you know what? I, I was, um, I am a big fan of um, Masterclass. And I was listening to uh, R.L. Stein. You know who R.L. Stein is? He wrote Goosebumps. One of the, the rules that he follows is he doesn't, in the younger, I think he has like multiple series. Like he has series for older kids, but he, in the Goosebumps, he doesn't kill anyone. But he always leaves, like his endings always have the the horror kind of continues, kind of like the 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 Carrie. Uh, this is a spoiler alert for those of you. Oh no, okay. oh, God, <laughs> it cannot be a spoiler alert. The movie's like from the seventies. I, I don't know. I don't know. But if, <laughs> if you haven't seen Carrie, so cover your ears for the next thirty seconds. But they're like you know. There's a the hand comes up at the end, and it also happens on Nightmare on Elm Street. This is a conversation that we actually had while we were workshopping Loteria because in my play at the end, is there? I don't. I'm not going to give it away. Right? But is there right. a? Is there? Is there a moment? There might be. Yeah. So so it is. It is kind of interesting. Yeah. I think I think we need to seek out some horror TYA, or if there are any listeners who are uh, familiar with any horror TYA plays that you think we should know about, please let us know. If you're a horror TYA writer, oh my gosh, please talk to us. We want to hear from you because certainly we want to uh, learn from you <laughs> because certainly we you know we got to talk to Prince. Oh uh, yeah, and then we have an upcoming episode with another uh, playwright who has written some uh, wonderful imaginings. Like, and and I've read adult plays that are, um, you know, based in thriller horror. You know, just to get an idea of like how do playwrights do it? Because I do think that is a skill to be able to craft that a world that is scary like for an audience that is sitting and watching it live you can do a lot of special effects and with movie making magic right but in the theater I think wow that is really a skill to have it in the text and then all of the other collaborators who come in and make that magic happen on stage in front of you that to me is even more terrifying yeah because you're seeing it happen right in front of you yeah yeah Yeah. but enough (sighs) about horror Tori let's talk about joy Where are you finding joy these days? For me, it's in simple things, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, one of them, I think I've talked about just getting out and walking my dogs, like doing a little bit of physical activity, getting to really enjoy what's around me as far as hearing birds chirping. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. That just brings me great joy. It's just so simple, you know? Yeah. And, and then something else that just brought me incredible joy was, uh, I picked my kiddo up from school on Friday and then we went right from her school to Carlsbad to see a 10 minute play festival. I had a play in the, um, yeah, the final draft festival of new, new work at new village arts in Carlsbad. So we went there, we had dinner 
Then we went and saw the program. Then we we went and got ice cream at Handles. <laughs> yeah, so we had an in afterward, she said, that was a really nice night. And that just brought me so much joy, you know? Oh, so, yeah. Aww. So just getting getting to have that experience where we're seeing some live theater together. I'm seeing it with uh, with my kid. And, you know, those are those are moments that are really important to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what nice. about you? Yeah. Uh, let's see. What brings me joy these days? Friendship brings me great joy. As you know, Tori, I have a very small social circle. Tiny, tiny. Like I probably with with one hand, I probably have more fingers than friends. Um, <laughs> um, but but the the friends that I do have bring me great joy. And the thing about this episode, why it's so special, is because I am literally sharing space with two of my favorite people on the planet, Tori. And Joanne Ruelos Diaz, who I have known since the 20th century. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, right? Yeah. 1999. 1999, Mm. yeah. So you snuck right in there. Joanne is an author of The Little Book of Joy. I'm showing it to people who cannot see it because we (laughs) we are on the audio like, but you look very cute holding it. Yeah, thank you. It's a really cute book. It is a really cute book. But um, you have written for licensed titles like Barbie. Have you written books by Barbie? Like or, or in the voice of or? I have written a book about Barbie learning about being a firefighter, I think. And I <gasps> oh, think wow. another one, I think I wrote a Barbie book called She Was Like a Princess Learning How to Be a Princess. You know, firefighters and princesses. Princesses. I feel like there's a there's definitely a curve, a learning curve to to being a princess, right? Oh, definitely. There's there was a montage. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> of course, gotta have a montage. You have to have a montage <laughs> somehow in a book. There was a montage. <laughs> so welcome, Joanne. And full disclosure, Joanne is married to a guest that we had on season two. Was it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think it was season two. Yeah. Christopher Diaz. So we'll talk about that and and, and what it's like to be married to a playwright later, but let's talk about you right now. So one of the things we were talking about before we got started was momming and writing. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you do it, Joanne? How do you do it? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I have no idea. I think um, one thing that I keep thinking about when thinking about writing this book. I wrote half of it during um, pre-pandemic and in the before times. And then I think I wrote half of it during the pandemic. And that was really challenging and ultimately helpful because um, the book is about, is um, features like a page for every day of the year and a little invitation or prompt to think about something joyful. And as you guys know, um, during the pandemic and lockdown, everybody's world got super small. So that was helpful in that it put me in in a certain frame of mind to really pay attention to small, ordinary things um, and difficult because we were all together all the time. Our work life was all 
meshed up together with school life. The kids were home doing virtual school. There was no day, there was no night. I mean, we were just trying to um, work in all of the little holes between like getting the kids breakfast and then getting them onto virtual school and then helping with that. So I think the answer um, to how to do it is just keep trying. I mean, we have done all different kinds of iterations, Chris and I, um, since becoming parents. It was different when we had a baby. Um, it was different when we had both kids out of the house. Um, it's been different when Chris has had to travel for work and I've I've been solo parenting at home and now he works um, at NYU and so he is a full-time professor and he's also a full-time playwright and he's a full-time parent. So the math doesn't make any sense. I don't know how we get, get through every day. Um, so, so I guess that the the connection to the book is sort of sort of um, that you have to look for these small moments to sustain yourself because it's really challenging. It's really hard. I don't know. How, how do you guys do it? We don't even know. We're just like, <laughs> I think, we, we I, squeeze it in when we can, right? <laughs> I think for me, it, it goes back to something Mabel and I have talked about on the podcast before, which is how do you define success? Because I start to get very spun about um, oh, I should be at a different point in my life. I'm 51, you know? So then I, then I start to get freaked out and panicky about all the things I haven't done. And then I have, I have to, because I'm not working, I'm not writing every day. I'm not, right. I'm not that kind of writer and I'm not, I, um, I don't want to say I'm not disciplined. It's not that it's just that I tend to and take notes and inspiration and then walk around with ideas for a while before I sit down and start hashing out something. So um, one thing I really loved about your book, well, there's many things to love about the little book of joy, but that you can uh, uh, find it. it's these chunks, right? Each, well, each day is like a, a little niblet <laughs> that you can, that you can take and just give you a moment of reflection. Like for me, uh, when, when Mabel gave me the book as a Christmas gift, thank you. And it's signed. That was a bonus. Um, that I, flipped to what I, I you know I flipped actually to the at the end of the year because I wanted to look at at some of um some of the upcoming prompts that <laughs> I, I have forward to look to this year and it, it I thought oh okay so there's one that's go sledding you know and I thought well I can't physically go sledding today but I can use my imagination. No, what I love about it is that if a, if a child is looking at this, they they can imagine and create that scenario. And I think that's what's so fantastic is that even if you can't physically go out and sled, you can make that scenario happen. That's what kids are so good with their with creating 
any scenario, you know, that's why we built forts and did all kinds of stuff. But for me as an adult too, it took me back to when I've been sledding. And so I could, you know, live in that moment. So I didn't even answer the question. I don't write every day. I don't you know did, how to do it. You didn't answer the question, <laughs> but you made me think of you made me think of something. So Joanne, one of the things that surprised me about the little book of joy is that do you who did you write this book for? The book, um, I think we say in you know the marketing materials and the things like that are um, for ages four to eight. So mm. that is fascinating to me because I. I think that's why I was just like, oh, you consider this a children's book. This to me was not, was like, I was like, this is, it did not, it did not register. I was like, oh, this, this is a book. This for- is for me. <laughs> yes. That that could probably be a compliment. And also probably I, I could think of it as not a compliment, but I told a friend of mine, it's for ages four to eight and like 44 plus because I'm 44 and I was definitely writing it as a pep talk to myself at some points, for sure. I mean, sometimes I was imagining um, most of the time trying to imagine younger kids and my kids and friends' kids, um, but definitely I was thinking of how to apply these things to myself. Yeah, I definitely as I as I read these pages, I, I definitely feel like these are things that speak to to everyone. So not that it's not that it's like not a kid's first of all, like I hold tremendous reverence for for children's books. So, you know, like that I'm not it's I don't mean it as a it's like, oh, it's it's for grown ups or three. It's like I, I think the voice is there, but I really do think that this like especially because what we're what we're still in, we're not even out of it. So what we're the world that we're still living in, the, the strange um, era that we find ourselves in, like this is so, it's so necessary. This is it really is like what we need right now. We need more joy. So I I think that this book, I think maybe that's why it it spoke to me in in a way that it's like, oh, it's written for it's written for you. <laughs> It's been for you, Mabel. It's been for for women in their forties, um, because <laughs> yeah. it's like we we need that we need that, and it's like and it's a little book of joy. But I will say this: this book is gorgeous. Oh my like, god! This it is, is not some beautiful. you know like little like flimsy. No, no, no. This is like three hundred and sixty five pages of beautiful illustrations, and it's like a hefty book. Like it's, it's hefty, right? It's, Stunning. Yeah, it's stunning. When I when I got it, I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's gorgeous. It really is. I uh, was telling I think I was telling Chris and some other friends that when I talk to creative people or hear from friends who are sort of in the creative field or creative people, they'll talk about the book and they'll say, oh, my gosh, congratulations. You did it. Um, the book is so thick. It's so, you know, and they'll talk about the ideas and thickness, like the heftiness of the book and the foil on the cover. and <laughs> this is a huge generalization, but friends of mine who are maybe in like finance or business, they're like, how many copies have you sold? What number ranking? And oh. it's so <laughs> jarring to me because I think I generally speak to a lot of creative people. And so you guys really um, are supporting my theory that the like the, the heftiness of it and the, the, the fact that you can hold something in your hands that you worked on for so long is satisfying and scary and exciting and and just sort of unimaginable to be holding this thing after 
six months of working on it. Well, you know, uh, is it Annalise? Is that how you pronounce? Yes, Annalise the illustrator. She's, she, her work is really so beautiful and charming. She has a, she, um, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that the publisher found her on Instagram. I'm not sure about that, but she used to spend a lot of time on Instagram filming her drawing. And I think as she's gotten busier, she hasn't been able to do that, but it's very peaceful and calming to watch her with her colored pencils and watch her sharpening her pencils and kind of figuring out color palettes and drawing little cats. I mean, you should check her out on Instagram. And I don't even know if her last name is really draws or right. if that's a, <laughs> a pretty, convenient, pretty convenient last name for her. Yes. Yeah, we're going to find her and we'll, we'll add her Instagram to our show notes, but yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. And by the way, that's like, I was at, recently at a something and they were like, that's how, that's how publishers are finding illustrators. Now they're just going on Instagram and that's how that's how they're hiring a lot of illustrators these days. So for any yeah, illustrators that are listening sense, out there, get on your yourself on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. So I wanted to add one more thing to the conversation that was about who is this book written for? And one thing that uh, I do it with one of the organizations I work for, which is CODA Collaborations Teachers and Artists, is to it helps teachers integrate art into their existing curriculum. So I go in and help them integrate drama into their science lessons mm-hmm. or whatever. But there, um, during <laughs> during the lockdown, the lockdown, the shutdown, the shut in, we <laughs> we were doing um, some social emotional social socio emotional learning packets that would also be for parents to do with their kids right to help the families connect because it was so challenging for everybody i see this book as an opportunity for parents to play with their kids as well Mm -hmm. to take each day and find that joy with their kids so i think that this is um a book for for everyone but I, it, yeah i um i really appreciate um the idea of that and i think i think that this is true with a lot of children's books and and in this one um you're i feel like i'm i'm inviting parents and kids to pay attention to ordinary and small things and really kind of with each day draw their attention to something specific and I think that as I worked on the book it was sort of it became more important that we learn how to talk about these kinds of things you know a lot of social emotional learning and literacy is giving language to our thoughts and feelings and giving validation to those thoughts and feelings um and the positive, you know, not just the negative feelings like frustration or um, fighting against perfection, but also giving language to things that make us happy and and articulating why. So a lot of the time, I was thinking, you know, with sledding, what is it that's joyful? Is it this? Is it? Um, I think in that entry was I said something like, "You trudge up the hill. It's a lot of work to trudge up the hill, and then you go down really fast, and it's worth it." Um, so. It was trying to give that language 
in each day. And I think that's informative to both parents and kids. And I want, I'm hoping that both parents and kids will read the book and they'll start noticing things and getting excited about those small things and giving language to it because they'll think, oh, it's in this book. It's important. Like those helicopter seeds that I found on the ground and I'm tossing into the air and watching them flutter. Like that's a big deal. That's important. I love that. So you had to come up with 365 um, sources of joy. Um, what was challenging or what discoveries did you make in this journey? That's like, that's pretty major. I mean, I feel like there are people that are going to go their whole lifetimes without identifying 365 sources of joy. No, I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. This book is for them. They need to get yeah. this book. <laughs> it was, well, I guess I could talk a little bit about how I would brainstorm an outline each month. So I, I wrote it month by month. That's how I had to turn in the manuscript. And so I would start by identifying the um, the obvious holidays, you know, like New Year's Day, Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, uh, in February, I would, since we're hoping it's going to be a perennial book, like a, around when is Chinese New Year? Um, and then I would also look at these sources for kind of weird trivia days, like National Donut Day or the invention of such and such or, or famous people's birthdays. And I would see how that could trigger or inspire me to think of something. So a lot of the, there are a lot of pages like um, write in a notebook like Leonardo da Vinci or something like that, or, oh, wow. you know, like how do yeah. these famous people and then what they're famous for, how could that spark some kind of joyful activity or reflection? Um, and then a lot of it was seasonal. So I would think, I would crowdsource on Facebook a lot or talk to friends like what brings you and your kids joy in January. And I would think a lot about sensory things. I would think about, you know, what smells are there that are common? Um, what activities are people doing in January? At the same time, trying not to make it too focused on um, people who live in cities or people who live in a suburban house. Um, trying to make sure it would not be too Western focused, um, although that's tricky. Um, so it was it was a lot of, you know, thinking about those things and curating those kinds of activities to make sure there's sort of an equal, not equal, but, you know, kind of a nice, um, well-rounded amount of each type of activity. I read, I did a lot of research I read this book, which I don't know if you guys know it, but I highly recommend it. I pulled it out to show you. Joyful by Ingrid Fettel Lee. The tagline is the surprising power of ordinary things to create extraordinary happiness. And it's great. It's a fun, very informative book that just talks about things like why balloons make <laughs> us happy and like why sprinkles and confetti make us happy. So I had that stuff in my head when I was writing it. Um, I, your question was the challenging parts. I think the challenging part was the volume. You know, there, there were a lot. I Like I said, I was writing it during the pandemic. So there would be times where I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> how am I going to do this? Um, but, and, and so writing it during the pandemic is really what the challenging part was because we, like I said, we had no um, 
borders and boundaries between things. So I had, there were times when I really struggled to put like three thoughts in a row together. Um, I think that's sort of what you were talking about, Tori, about like not writing every day and, and kind of surrendering to how that process is going to be. I took a lot of notes and tried to sort of remember that way when I would come back, come back to the book, whether it was at 5 PM or there were times when I was working at like from one to three in the morning mm. towards the ends because the kids were on summer vacation. And just that was the oh time that, that it was quiet. Uh. That was the time that it was quiet and I could kind of think, have my own thoughts. Um, several thoughts in a row. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, it, it's funny. I know your, your kids are younger, but I have a teenager and I feel like not a lot has changed <laughs> that when she's home, it is, you know, it's just harder because it is about them. So finding even as they get older, that's why I said, when you graduate high school, you must move out. <laughs> I don't care, you know. <laughs> you how, old are your, how old are your kids, Tori? I just have one. She's enough. Uh, she's <laughs> 14. She'll be 15 soon. Okay, so. so three years, three or four years away before she moves out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless she goes to, you know, UCSD or something that I might be willing to let her pay rent and stay. <laughs> I just think it's healthy. I think you have to, you don't figure out who you are till you're out of your parents' house. I think it's very hard to, to figure it out when you're at home, especially if yeah. you're living with me. <laughs> that, that is, that is a fact. <laughs> So well, I think Mabel, for you and I, that was definitely true. I mean, we both went to New York. Yeah, you went very far away. I didn't go as far away as you. I only went three hours, a three hour drive away, but you were very far from home. I was like, get me out of my house. I couldn't get out of out of my parents' house soon enough. And then I never went back. And that was that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. It's like, bye. Then I came back to California. And now ironically, after, you know, when I was 17, I was like, I'm never coming back to San Diego ever again. Suck it, California. And now I like live 10 minutes away from the house that I grew up in. So that's, <laughs> that's irony for you. <laughs> um, and I love and I love California. I love San Diego. Now, now it was a process. Um, but yeah, no, um, I think that the uh the ch and joanne your kids are still pretty young um what what are oscar and leo's ages they're um six and nine so kindergarten and fourth grade six and nine and they're but they're yeah. back in school now right they're, they're back in school back in school and yeah there's a little bit of of peace in the not that there isn't your kid by the way joanne's kids are like the loveliest human beings i love them so much one of my favorite memories of like that you know like you have moments in life that you'll that you just remember that that just bring you joy um so i was babysitting for you guys when you were visiting um uh, when you were in la and you guys had something to do and i was and i was i was putting the boys down for the night and um just 
like I don't even remember what it was. It was like we were like, oh, there's a monster, and Oscar <laughs> and Leo were just like giggling. So, oh my gosh, that memory oh. will stay with me forever. But they're just like, ah, the sweetest kids. I love them so much. That is so cute. Uh. I, I don't. I'm hesitant to repeat to repeat the story in case you guys talked about it when Chris was on, but. Tori, I have to tell you that Mabel did one of the nicest things that anyone has ever done. It will be forever in like the top 10 list of nice things that people have done for me. Chris had a, and this relates because it's about how to um, manage with two writers or one writer who you know, has to travel for work. We went to California. Chris, um, what was it? It was the live taping of Rent, right? Rent Live? Yes. yes. So there were, I think, three performances of Rent Live we we all went to LA and I had no idea how I was going to get to see the show because we live in New, New Jersey and um, I was very anxious about trying to figure out how to get a babysitter. Oh, I mean, yeah. I wasn't comfortable trying to find a babysitter mm-hmm. in the state that I don't, you know, where I don't know, don't know them. And I, the idea of asking somebody to babysit was not even a thought in my head. I would just never want to inconvenience somebody to do that. And how, who did my kids know that they would be comfortable with? And we'd be in a hotel. And I was so overwhelmed by all of that. And Mabel reached out to me and she said, listen, I want to um, babysit your kids so you can go to the show. And I didn't even know what to say. I like almost am choked up thinking about it because oh my it gosh. saved my sanity in so many ways. One that I didn't have to ask or like, the logic was overwhelming to me and she, I don't know how, but anticipated this issue and volunteered. And I, I think I, I don't even know if I resisted. I think I was so thankful. I think you were Um, like, you try to, but I was like, don't even, you know why Joanne? Because I've been there. Yes. In in that situation where I Mm -hmm. needed someone to take care of my boys. Cause I had a show to go to. And there was like, so so that like when you put that out there, I was I like for some reason just like knew exactly the anxiety, all that stuff that that goes with like trying because when I when I had when my boys were little, there were it was my mom, Norma, who was our nanny, and then like one other person that I trusted with my kids. Like that we we just didn't have and if they weren't available, like I wasn't gonna go anywhere. You know? Yeah. So, like I knew I knew I understood your predicament. And like, and I felt like this is, this is kind of a, like, I know that it was like, you know, Chris was, was doing his thing, but I was like, but you're on this journey with him and you should mm-hmm. be there. Um, and so like, I a hundred percent knew, and I knew that you were going to push back. Cause you were like, no, 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 Like, I think I even followed up. I was like, no, I'm serious. Like I'm going to, yeah, you did because I would have easily been like, oh, that's so nice. What a nice offer. And then let it dry on the vine. Um, but that was huge. And, and to where she did it. Uh, Mabel babysit. I think two or three of those nights. I think you went to the show one night and you came from San Diego, drove I don't even know how many hours to LA and back at two in the morning. I mean, it was a huge effort and I will never forget it. That was a beautiful thing that you did. But again, but it gave me the gift of that moment that I will remember for the rest of my life, which is like putting your kid that the laughter, Oscar and Leo's laughter, like it's just one of those things. It was just like pure joy. And it was just so beautiful. So anyway, well, you made an impression because um, was it eight, Leo's eighth birthday or ninth birthday? You were Mabel, not not even. Oh, wait, your kids were on the list. Um, Mabel and her boys were on Leo's um, guest list for his birthday party. <laughs> 
And I, you know, it was a short list and, and Mabel made it. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's very sweet. I'll, I'll invite her. I don't know if she's going to be able to come, but I'll definitely invite her. It was oh very my sweet. gosh. Yeah. Uh, so parents are friends of parents who are listening. This is a way that you can really support and help out a writer, artist, uh, friend in your life who has children. I, that is, that's invaluable. So, oh, yeah, what a great story. For, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I imagine that for artists, um, there's not, it's so ambiguous. Like your, your time is so amorphous and there's not this structure and support for the nine to five job with the three weeks or four weeks vacation. And so I feel like we're constantly cobbling together things and having to iterate our childcare systems and our work systems. Um, and that's, that keeps going. I mean, as your kids get older, I imagine yep, the challenges change. Um, so we're, we're constantly trying to figure it out and, and communicate. I mean, I think that's probably the key is communicating all the time about it. Like you're taking the kids until 1 PM and then I'm taking them from, you know, till 5 PM. And then we're both on duty until 9 PM at bedtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know uh, uh, for me, because my husband has a business, I feel like a lot of the responsibilities, day-to-day things do fall on me, uh, you know, not just the child, but the pets as well. <laughs> and so, so my time for writing or creativity is, I, it, it's hard because it's not like, oh, the, I feel inspired. I get to sit down and write. It doesn't happen like that. You know, it's, I feel inspired, but shoot, I've got to drive <laughs> my kid to school. All right have to take the pet, the dogs for a walk or, you know, so I can really appreciate that. And I love that story. And I love that that moment sat with you too, Mabel. It was, that's, that's awesome. Like I'll be driving and then I'll just think of it. It'll just like pop in my head. I'll be like, (laughs) 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 yes, yes. So one of the things that I didn't mention at the top of, of the show was that you, Joanne, um, have uh, continued to to do some writing um for Sesame Street? Yes. So can you talk about the the work that you have done for Sesame Street? Cuz I you as as you may or may not know, listeners, uh I'm a huge Sesame Street Jim Henson, anything Jim Henson does as far as I'm concerned is oh, but uh, but I, I but can, I, I can see you have um, I'm Animal and Kermit and Gonzo uh, puppets right behind you. Yes, they're back. <laughs> Evidence that she's telling the truth. I'm yes. in and uh, and they're back. And they you came. Can't, you can't see that I have another. I have a hidden Muppet up up at the top. But um. But anyways, Joanne, talk to us about the amazing work that you do at Sesame Street because I think it's it's really it is definitely necessary for the times. And actually, I think it's really interesting because it ties into what we've talked about, uh, how to tackle difficult subject matter um, when, when with young audiences. So sure. Do, Joanne. Um, well, the first, my first job out of college was actually working in the publishing department for Sesame Street. I worked on the international magazines. So at the time, Sesame Street magazine, had um, international publications. There was one in Spain. There was one in Portugal. I think Holland, Germany, 
Mexico. And so I was in charge of, um, in charge. I was like a 22 year old coordinator. Um, (laughs) I was in charge. So I would look at these, these magazines put together by these international, um, offices. And I would say, um, okay, Cookie Monster's not allowed to be doing that. Ernie wouldn't <laughs> say it like this. Um, we would have a, a uh, design creative person look at all of their drawings and they would correct them and say, you know, Cookie Monster's left pupil is lower, not his right pupil. And so I would send them all, the, all their notes. Um, that position changed and I started working as an editorial assistant on the American version of Sesame Street magazine. Um, And then I left that job to work for educational publishers doing classroom literacy materials. So working on like the teacher's guide and little books and things that the kindergarten first graders would would use to learn how to read. Um, But many years later, I was freelancing and I kept in touch with the people I used to work with. you know, that world is pretty small. So we're all kind of bouncing back and forth between the educational publishers and Scholastic, as you can imagine. Um, Scholastic is another place where I worked writing those um, licensed books like for Hot Wheels and Barbie <laughs> Transformers, Barbie. Anim- Transformers animated. I don't remember. <laughs> I think Barbie, one of the Barbie books was for like Scholastic book clubs. Um, and so now I work. I do a lot of freelance work for the arm of Sesame Street called Sesame Street in Communities. And that's a multimedia initiative um, where they provide free bilingual resources to children zero to six and for the adults that um, in their circle of care. So whether it's healthcare providers, early childhood educators, social services, people in social services, they'll provide videos, professional development, um, storybooks, printables on very specific topics. So they've done in the past um, families dealing with incarceration or substance abuse, addiction. Um, Recently, the projects that I worked on with them were about racial justice, um, COVID-19 response materials, um, social emotional topics like resilience. So I just did three storybooks that I don't know how, I don't know if they're done yet, but three storybooks on resilience, um, featuring these Muppets that were created to kind of tackle certain topics. Like, um, one was homelessness. One is the Muppets father is incarcerated. And the other one is, um addiction so i think one of the muppets parents had to go away for a while um to for substance abuse treatment so these are you know heavy heavy topics that they create all of these materials for and so i do a lot of outreach materials for them now do they give you um kind of a synopsis of uh, this is what we this is the the area of focus and then you build out the story how how does that happen this is just this is fascinating to me yeah that's pretty on point I mean they'll provide a lot of research and background material for me to use um we'll have meetings 
and I'll I'm lucky to be able to learn from those from from those materials that they provide. I mean, Sesame Street is very research driven, so they they either have um, their own research studies where they get information from, or they'll they'll convene a panel of advisors. So for the racial justice initiative, I um, I did something different. I attended and listened to all of the speakers and dra- and wrote and drafted the um, the report. And so the report is used to for Sesame to figure out, okay, these are the the important things that you know we need to talk about for racial justice. Um, how are we gonna how are we gonna do that? Um, and that was really informative. I mean, it's a topic that's not going anywhere and and it's in a lot of children's materials now as it should be. Um, but it's it's complex. And so I was I was I felt fortunate to be able to be virtually in the room where these advisors were all meeting and talking about those things. Wow. Mm. Wow. I know it's a lot, right? <laughs> it, it is, but I'm so grateful that you're, that you're doing that. You know, it's, it's important and, and it is heavy, but that, you know, I think we have to also, we need to give kids credit there. Those are stories that need to be told and they need to see themselves in the stories. So I think it's really important. So thank you for doing that because I know it can be kind of heavy on your heart. I imagine to do some of that, but also uplifting too, because you know, it's, it's coming from a good place. Yeah. I I was trying to refresh my memory um, in preparation to talk to you guys. Um, I was refreshing my memory, reading back some of these reports. And one of the messages that these advisors stressed was to empower children to see things differently um, and Mm. to encourage their imagination because they won't be bounded by, well, this is how it's been. This is how it's always been. These are, this is why that's going to be a challenge. And this is why it's going to be a problem. And just to encourage their imaginative thinking and their confidence to have impact and to make these positive, to make important, necessary, positive changes. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yes to that. So where can people find um, Sesame Street and community materials? Because I, the, I I know about this because I, I don't even know how I found it. I know it was like really like just I went down a rabbit hole, but I, I saw something about Sesame Street doing something with, with a Muppet having an incarcerated parent. It was a while ago. It was like mm-hmm. probably yeah. like five or six years ago, but I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But mm-hmm. um, but how where do people find this stuff? Because I think you're covering so many important topics that, oh that, that families need information, they need help. So where where is this stuff available? It's super easy. I think it's just Sesame Street in communities.org, I believe. Or you can just Google Sesame Street in communities if if I don't have the exact URL correct. And then I think the first thing they prompt you to do is identify if you're a provider or a parent. 
Um, and then once you select between one of those two options, the the next um, page will sort of um, narrow down the content for what your role is. So I think there might be different kinds of materials for parents than there are for, you know, pediatricians offices or things like that. But um, you can search by topic, you can search by age group, I think, or by, you know, if you're looking for storybooks to pass out or print, you can search for um, by activity. And there are videos. It's, so a lot of this pretty, material's right. free, is that right? It's all free. It's all free. So and I think it's all wonderful. I think, I, think um, I believe that all of the materials are also bilingual. Mm. Oh, my bell's getting teary. <laughs> it, Spanish, um, Spanish, English, any other languages? That's a good question. I know it's English and Spanish. And I don't know about the other languages. I know that I did a bunch of um, COVID-19 um, support materials for a different part of Sesame. I mean, Sesame Street, they're global. So they're not only in you know our local communities, but they're global. So they had a global impact group and we did social media posts for families in low resource settings on how to deal with COVID. So things like, and, and it was a different mindset to work on those projects because you can't necessarily assume that it's safe for them to go outside and mm -hmm. take a walk. Right, um, you right. can't assume that they have tons of toys in their homes or that they have a variety of um, art supplies. So they, I remember that those materials were translated, I think into six different languages, um, but I'm not exactly sure how you find them. I think they were specific to the local productions on Sesame Street. But if you, there's just so much stuff that they've got out there. And I would just say to kind of dig through and see Google. if they have stuff. Yeah. Who's your friend here? Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll put links on the show notes for, mm -hmm. for Sesame Street. We'll track that down and, and, uh, and put that link on our website. But like, like you said, like there's, there's a lot, the power of Sesame Street. Did you watch uh street gang, Joanne? Have you seen it? I haven't watched it yet. Can you believe that? I haven't watched it yet. I have to watch it. it I think it was it was really powerful for me because I I grew up on Sesame Street. And so, you know, we talk about representation um, and like the images that kids see on TV. But I, I was in a bubble when I was a kid. My mom, like all we had was PBS. Like I, I don't remember watching any other television. So for me... I never felt othered because I had Maria and Luis. Like there was, there was mm -hmm. always the representation for me was always on TV because of Sesame Street. Mm. Now they have. You probably know this already, but I am very excited because there's a new Asian Muppet. I think it's the first Asian Muppet that's been on Sesame Street, um, and there's so many not exclusive to Sesame Street, but there's so many um, children's shows featuring Filipinos now that excite me because I can't think of one from when we were young. I mean, the one Asian mm -hmm. teenage girl that I can think of, and this definitely wasn't in the eighties is um, Lane from Gilmore girls. Do you oh, guys, yeah, Lane. Oh, you guys yeah. ever watch mm -hmm. Gilmore girls? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only person I can think of. And then now there are so many and I watch all of them. 
I we just watched Spider Man No Way Home. Have you guys seen that with Lola? Mm-mm. Yes, yes, yes. We practically like, cheered. Oh my Chris god! And I were like this yes. in the theater because he Ned Spider Man's um, best friend. I didn't know this, but he's apparently Filipino, Filipino. because his mm. his Lola, his grandmother, was in one scene, and I was very excited by that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but think about like for our kids, right? Because it, our kids could be cousins, right, Joanne? Like, like, yeah, they are. They look so similar. They're Latinx, uh, Filipino blend. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, like, but just think about the world that they're growing up with. Because my little guy, his favorite—I'm going to get his name wrong. Um, He's the father in um, Fresh Off the Boat. He was in um, Oh, um, uh, oh Always shoot. Be My Baby. What's yes, it? I love him. What's I'm his like name? Andy. Randall Park. Randall Park. I think that's BB's favorite actor is Randall Park. He's just like, oh, that guy's awesome. I think is hilarious, but adorable, but but really funny. <laughs> but also like they're they're seeing themselves in mass media, which is something that aside from me and my Sesame Street bubble, like we didn't have that. I mean, definitely not in books. It's just a different world that we're that we're in now, and it's so exciting for our kids. I still there's still we still have ways to go, but at least like the needle is moving, right? When you were talking about Randall Park, I was thinking of Always Be My Maybe, the romantic comedy where it's him and Ali Wong, Keanu Reeves. It's a romantic comedy starring two Asian leads. I mean, I couldn't even imagine that happening when I was young. Let's go watch it. Let's watch it right now. I yeah, let's do it. I know. I just such a I love that movie. Because I haven't seen it. It's oh, Tori. Okay, I'm writing it down. No. Oh my gosh. But never have I ever. <laughs> Girl. We need a separate podcast to talk about Never really Have I do. Ever, all the teen, all the um, Asian teen dramas. I don't know if it's a drama, drama comedy on, on Netflix right now. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Sidebar, we'll sidebar. Yeah, that. it's a separate podcast, right? But legitimately, that would be something to talk about because Never Have I Ever is this teenager. She's <laughs> so plucky. She And what I like about that show is she's, She's Indian, she's very American, but there's a scene where she's praying to the shrine in her home. We had a shrine, in, or have a shrine at my parents' house, um, and these very casual portrayals and show it, you know, like the food, the clothing, but done very casually. And it's not like the main focus that she's this... Um, Asian American or East Asian American or Indian American um, teenager. I, I could go on and on about the portrayal in that show. Speaking to you, your relatability. Like, I, I think there are so many themes. I'm having my sister watch it right now because there's so much of that show that mirrors my sister's high school experience. Like, it's weird. It's creepy. In addition, the, the representation, because we are, we are living in this world where like, all kinds of combinations of, of children are popping out. And my sister's kid is, is half Indian. My, is the Latinx Indian baby. So <gasps> that's right. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all a fascinating world we're living in, but, but, but the beauty of it is now that the media is sort of catching up and we still have long ways to go. Like I, I was, yeah, I was watching the new version of how I met your had you know that there's like a how I met your yes how I met your, how father, met your father with Hillary Duff, and um, I was like, okay, 
So like mm-hmm. the person in it, yeah, but they're like the side characters. Like why could oh. you know what I mean? It's always like we're the friend, and it's like <sighs> okay. <laughs> but we have shows like Never Have I Ever, which to me is is the best show that I've seen on television. On television, look at me, boomer. <laughs> it's on television <laughs> on streaming services. Uh, like it's like the best show I've seen in a in a long time. Like I just, I, it's just I died. It was so good. So. Okay, I've written notes. Yeah. Good. <laughs> anyway. All right, back to Joanne. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, never have I ever brings you joy. It does. There you go. That's my we'll 366. Little, uh, um, and now I can't wait till the third season, but I think it's going to be a minute. But I just want you to prepare that you might be a little bit sad when it's when it's over. I think I went to through like a little depression. That's too strong a word, but I, I went through a real um morning time when it was over and i had nothing else to watch after that and so did a friend of mine oh she also had a morning time morning period i i I definitely experienced that well we're gonna we're gonna bring it back to joy because we're going to do our asking for a friend yes okay yes yes okay so joanne if you could hang out with any muppet oh i like this one yeah who would it be um, my first reaction is Kermit. Kermit has so much going on. I think he's, <laughs> I, re- I feel like I relate to Kermit. He's got, first of all, this is a weird thing to say, but one time when I was 18 or 19, this, um, this girl compared me to Kermit the Frog and not, and not a complimentary way. I was very insulted by it at the time, but guess what? Now I find it a compliment because Kermit is the best, right? How mm. how can you get better? Um, so I would want to hang out with him. I feel like we could bond over our um, anxiety, probably our scrawny <laughs> arms and legs. <laughs> um, he's exasperated all the time, and I understand that. Living in a house with three males in this, you know, I feel like trying to keep keep the sane voice amongst the fools that I live with and I, he would have a, he and I would have a lot to talk about. That's funny. That kind of answers the question about what it's like to be married to a playwright, but I digress. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, where would you go on your, oh, where would on we your go? Adventure? Yes. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind now is on a road trip. Is that because of all the Muppet movies that <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking say. that we would <laughs> that we'd be on some kind of road trip in a van? I think that we'd probably pick up a lot of people along the way. Oh my gosh! This is I think I think, I think I think I think I'm just recapping the Muppet movie. Am I? <laughs> I like, no, the movie is writing itself. But <laughs> no, that's I think I, I think the movie is already written. I think I might be. Well, plagiarizing. Don't, they say, don't they say there's only seven existing storylines, something like that? So, you know. <laughs> I kind of unique. feel like the pandemic has been me and my family on like a very long road trip, like stuck in the car together. And Lavelle, kind of like how we were in Italy, really looking for dumb ways to entertain ourselves. <laughs> like the smallest ways to entertain ourselves. I think that that's what life has been like in a lot of lockdown. Like, how are we going to 
mm. <laughs> find joy and uh, and entertain ourselves. I mean, there's a funny video that I have of Leo. Um, he's lying on his stomach on our wood floor. This was like day 275 of pandemic. Mm. He has his arms out like a superhero and he just pushes himself against the doorway so that he slides across the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's just quietly that's what was happening in our house like this is this is what we're gonna do this will be Th- that was 10 seconds of entertainment right there, there you go. this will be day 366 <laughs> yeah exactly that might be in the book already who knows oh yeah <laughs> I, I, I blocked out a lot of it Oh my gosh. Joanne mentioned Italy when we were in Italy. What was the game that we would play? Was it because I always get it wrong? I think it was okay, no. It was okay, no. Like, mm-hmm. how many ways can you say okay, no? And so, what we did, what, what I did with my boys uh, during the pandemic, one, one day we were trying to find fun is how many ways can we say this birthday sucks? <laughs> which, this is a weird tie in, which was a line in the play that BB wrote with the class. <laughs> That we forced our children to do. We forced our children to do a playwriting <laughs> class over Zoom uh, with featuring their teaching artist, Tori and Mabel. <laughs> so we made, our kids, like, we made our kids do a playwriting class. So it was Tori's daughter and Tori's daughter's friend and then the two boys. And we like, but actually it was good practice because it it got us hip to like how to teach a class on Zoom because we were trying to save ourselves. It was a terror. Like we were just yep. like, we needed to We're like we got to do something we, so we started a we started a podcast and we did a class that we made our kids attend where the line they sucks came from and that became a game that we now play called this birthday sucks i think we similarly have tried um to play the same game but with the line this interview is over <laughs> Wait. oh okay. my god Oh my god. So so how do you play the game okay no? Tell me. Ready, Joanne? You, you go, okay, first. go first. Oh. <laughs> okay, no. Okay. No. Okay, no. Okay, no. And that's okay. it. <laughs> you just keep going. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, that was the whole game. That's it. That's awesome. I wasn't sure if it was just using those two words, but finding the different meaning, or if it was how many ways can you say okay, no, using other words, you know, like that's a, she's leveling that's not up. Not gonna happen. Or he's leveling up <laughs> on the game. And you know what else I see? Clearly, we're not actors because actors would probably add movement to it. I know we didn't. We do didn't do it. No, because we're not. <laughs> and I think I the game it. pretty much played out the same way every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was it a drink? There's not no. a drinking game. No, it wasn't even a drinking game. It was not even a drinking game. Yeah. I love it. So are we coming to the part for writing prompt? Writing prompt. So um we were thinking that the little book of joy was 365 writing prompts, but Joanne, do you have a writing prompt for us? I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but this is what I was thinking. A lot of the times when people get the book, the first thing that they flip to is their birthday. And they look to see what the little invitation mm-hmm. is or the activity is for their birthday. And so when I was writing it, I was thinking about whose birthdays I knew on certain days. Um, and I would kind of tailor it based on the person. Um, so I 
I, uh, let me think, could it be a writing prompt to ask people, um, if you're writing a book and you had to write a joyful invitation for every day of the year, what would you write on your birthday? Or what would you write or invite someone to do on someone you care about's birthday? That's I a love that. Great, great. I'm going to show you. Great, um, that's a great way in. Yeah. I'm going to show you, Lavelle, um, my kid's birthday. And it's Pancet. Oh! Do you make Pancet for their birthday? I do not. I don't cook anything. But <laughs> it is a Filipino tradition to eat this Filipino noodle dish called Pancet because the long noodles represent long life. So I put that as one of the activities on one of my kids' birthdays. Wait, uh, that's that's so interesting. So I love that you drop in little parts of, of uh, culture and, uh, uh, you know, cultural references and science and, ah, it's just so great. All right, Joanne, if people want to find you, where could they find you? They can find me um, on Instagram at Joanne Revising. So it's Joanne with an E at Joanne Revising. Um, I have a website, joannerueloesdiaz.com. And the book is available um, wherever books are sold. Joanne, plug, plug your local bookstore where you signed these copies. Oh, yes. um, it's called Words Bookstore in Maplewood, New Jersey. And if you order on the website and you want an autographed copy, um, I think that they can still provide them for you. So you can write in the comment section, I want Joanne to sign this or I want um, a signed copy. And they call me up. They say, we'd like you to sign this book for so-and-so. Wow. I go in, I sign them, and then they ship them to you. So they've been really great. And um it, during the holidays, it was a it was very thoughtful of um, several friends of mine, including you, Mabel, to give the gift as a book. And so you can even say in the comments section of the website, um, "Can you write this out to so and so?" Cool. So I'm happy. Yeah. To, I'm happy to do that for anybody who would like one. Yes, I love it. That made it even more special. So yes. So and and support your uh, independent bookstores. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's a good I wrote it down so that we can put it in the show notes. Right on. I All feel right. so uh, so professional that there's um show notes. There's show notes. I'm, I'm an avid podcast listeners. I'm always hearing about show notes and now I'm in the show You're notes. You're in the now. show notes. Yeah. You're the show. This is my next level <laughs> accomplishment. So is there is there anything else that you want to plug or are we like um what are you working on next? Are you allowed to say? I cannot say, but there um, one project that I'm I'm working on is very language and word related. So I'll be probably um, asking questions about that on Instagram, maybe or Facebook. Um, occasionally contribute to the Mom Hour podcast on their blog. Not so not I'm not usually a voice on the podcast, but. I'm occasionally on their blog or on their Instagram. So people can check that out. If Right on. Cool. All right, Joanne, this has been a blast. I love you. I love your family. And we love you and your family. Oh. Tori, I love you, your family and your husky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's cat too. She's two dogs. I'm going to surprise that. Two I'm gonna cats. Surprise them. 
<laughs> my my kids are very into cats. They want a cat so badly. Chris and I are very allergic. Um, oh no! Oscar calls himself a cat. He's called Coco when he's a cat. He has cats. It's cat everything. Um, if I weren't allergic, I probably would have had three cats by now. So he would love to visit they your, are your slide they, and your cats. They love to be petted, and you know, they're they're sweet. So yeah, cool, awesome. All right, it's well, a I'm date. Invite myself over. Joanne, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about the Little Book of Joy and all of the other amazing work that you are doing, especially when it comes to um, children and their journeys. It's just so exciting to hear about all of your work with Sesame Street. And, you know, you're you're married to a playwright and you're <laughs> which is <laughs> And, and I'm, and, not, I'm not in prison. You're not not in prison. <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing all of the things. And so thank you. Thank you for taking time to talk with us today. We, we really loved having you on the show. Thank you guys. This is my very first podcast ever. And you made it so warm what? and welcoming and not scary. Oh my God. The first of well, many, many more to come. We're, we're seriously going to do a spinoff show of TV talk. <laughs> okay. Right. Streaking yes. show talk. I don't even know. Do they call it TV anymore? Whatever. Anyways. All right. All right. Thank you, Joanne. Bye, everybody. Bye. What a wonderful conversation. Oh my gosh. I can talk pop culture Holy- with that one <laughs> forever. It was just really interesting to hear about all of the different things she's done. Not, not just, um, y- you know, the book, The Little Book of Joy, which is amazing. And if you are looking for inspiration, if you're finding yourself really stuck, like not finding joy, well, there's 365 possibilities here. But also just um, the educational, the the writing that she's done to support teachers in the classroom, all of that. So yeah, the little book of joy also essentially offers 365 not just 365 ways to celebrate every day, but basically 365 writing prompts. Right. That is, yeah, absolutely. You can you turn can just, any of these into a writing prompt. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. All right, Tori. What do we got coming up? Um, well, uh, again, we will have a link to our end of play volunteer event. Um, well, Friday, April 15th, if you happen to be anywhere near Emporia State in Kansas, I have a play called The Hunts that's going to be a part of that 10-minute play festival there. It's in the Ronald Q. Fredrickson Black Box Theater. And yeah, I think that's, I mean, right after that, we are, we will be flying to Independence and we'll be there for a week with, um, I'm sure we're going to capture some really exciting offerings that, that will then be crafted beautifully into some podcast. <laughs> podcast magic. Podcast magic, yeah. yes. All right. Well, Tori, I hope you find some joy this week. I hope in you some, do too, Mabel. In some unexpected places. Thank you. I, I, I hope I find joy too. I always find joy when I talk to you, Tori. I know. Ditto. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a, uh, have a lovely day, week, month, wherever you are on your listening journey of Hey Playwright. And uh, make sure to uh, check us out, heyplaywright.com. Follow us on the socials at Hey Playwright, Instagram, Twitter. And I think that's it, right? That's right.
See? Okay. Okay. Bye, playwright. Bye, playwright. <laughs>